Welcome back. And I have another amazing interview for you today. I loved this conversation. So let me introduce you to my guest and friend, Kristen Khalidkarin. Kristen is currently on a mission to touch lives through travel by embarking on an epic solo hiking and hitchhiking journey while uplifting the communities she meets along the way. So that is a very concise way (laughs) to put into words everything that Ten is doing. And, you know, I'm not going to give much more info. You're going to hear her incredible stories in this episode. So here it is. Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season four, we're talking all about inspirational travel stories. Let's get started. Before we dive in, this season's episodes will come to you uninterrupted and ad-free. I know that you'll be inspired by the stories you hear this season. And if you need help taking the leap yourself, I encourage you to check out the resources listed in the show notes or visit my website, www.travelshifters.com. Whether you are seeking a remote job, a career break, or pursuing a different travel possibility, there are resources and services for every budget, including free. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open at The Travel Shifters. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to The Travel Possibilities Podcast. I am here with another amazing guest for another great interview. So, Ten, thanks for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, Callie. How are you? It's been a while. (laughs) So, hi, everyone who's listening. I'm really honored to be in this podcast. So, Callie tells me that this season is going to be about inspiring stories. And I hope that my story will inspire you to see the world, no matter what background you come from, and to see it in such a way that you will make a positive impact on the places that you visit. So, before that, my name is Ten, like the number. I'm currently on a mission to touch lives through travel by embarking on an epic hiking and hitchhiking journey across the world, solo, unassisted, and with my week passport. And my mission is to combine advocacy and adventure. So basically, the way I travel is very immersive. I do stay in places for a longer period of time to be able to better understand the culture and the traditions of each society and each country that I visit. And also to find ways to be able to uplift the communities that I go to and I that welcome me. So basically, it's through volunteer work or through donating and supporting various charities and projects along the way or participating in them as well. So that's my trip in a nutshell. <laughs> and I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yay. I'm so glad you're here as well. And I mean... I love all your travels and things like that. We're going to get deeper into it, but let's go back to the beginning. You know, how did you get into it? How did you get started? How did you come up with this mission, et cetera? So actually, I've been traveling for six years now. Right after I graduated university, I decided that the nine to five wasn't for me and that I really did not want to pursue a stable career path. So I decided to backpack Southeast Asia like every gap year person right (laughs) 
It was the beginning of the trip. I had $700 in my pocket and my plan was to go at least one month. And one month stretched into one year, one year into two and three and four and five and six. And I wasn't happy back home. That was the main reason for leaving. The main reason was that I, I had spent 20 years of my life doing what my family told me, what society was telling me, doing everything to live up to the expectations of people who wouldn't even acknowledge me. So I was supposed to become a lawyer, by the way. And I was supposed to have a comfortable life, you know, a life that is like very stable, good job, good home and stuff. But I realized I was not happy and that I was slowly dying inside just to be able to live that life. This was someone else's dream and not mine. And when I started to travel, the main goal was looking for happiness. What is something that would make me happy? And so the adventure begins with a flight. Actually, I wasn't a hitchhiker before to Cambodia. And in Cambodia, I discovered that, yeah, I do love traveling. I fell in love with it. You know, it's, it's, I feel like it's what I have always been made to do. And you, you just get that feeling, you know, like it's, it's, uh, I do believe that some people are born travelers and some are maids. And I think I was born to be one because of the circumstances of my life and because of where I come from. And so I found happiness. I was really happy exploring, adventuring, sightseeing and all of these things. But then things get quickly boring, you know. You hop on a bus, right? You get into a destination, you fall asleep in the bus. Sometimes you talk to some locals, sometimes you meet some fellow travelers. And you go to these hostels, and then in these hostels, you meet travelers again and stuff like that. And then it gets repetitive. So I started looking for a much deeper way to actually understand the country, you know, go beyond these bucket list items. And so I started my hiking and hitchhiking trip. I decided to hitchhike all over Southeast Asia as a way to actually fully immersed in the communities that I go to. For, because for me, you know, the best things about hitchhiking is that you never know who's going to pick you up and you never know where you're going to end up. And I know that hitchhiking does get a bad reputation for like, you know, uh, especially when you're a female, right? But I do believe that there are a lot of people out there in the world who are very open and willing to actually introduce and welcome you to their cultures because that's what happened for me. So through hitchhiking and, you know, eventually getting hosted by locals, staying in local people's homes, whether it's through couch surfing or things like Workaway or even the spontaneous like meetings in the roadside, because that's where I usually get hosted from or spontaneous meetings in the vehicles that I hitchhike and getting invited spontaneously by these people. I discovered that like, you know, there's much more to culture than we think. It's not just like the things that you can see on the internet. There's some nuances. There's some things that only a local would know. So I was traveling like a local. I was learning a different skill in every country that I go to. So for example, I learned how to ride a horse in Kazakhstan. I learned how to um, taste wine and appreciate wine in Moldova. Or for example, I learned how to weave in Bulgaria during my recent trip. In Palestine, I learned how to make Diwali and Mansaf, and I'm really proud of that. In Ukraine, I was learning how to paint Easter eggs. So being one with the people, that's what I was looking for. And I found it. And I realized that this to me felt like home. Yeah, I was moving from place to place. But growing up from a broken family and being the only child and not having a lot of friends, like permanent friends growing up. That's why I was telling people I was born to be a traveler. 
has made me into this. I was searching for home in the places that I go to and every family who would take me in, every culture that would welcome me was like having a family, having things that I've never had back home. So I found home, I found happiness. And then eventually as the years progressed and my third year of travel, I was looking for more deeper connections. I started traveling slowly. I started to have a community, you know, because when you stay in one place, you have this community. And from that sense of community, I decided to find ways to be able to actually uplift these communities or as we say, like give back to them, right? And that's when I started volunteering. That's when I started supporting different charities. And that's when I started to look into a more impactful way to travel so that when I come to a country, I am not just a visitor. I am not just a local. I am using travel to create change in the places that I go to. And that's how we ended up here. And that's how I found my travel style and eventually what has become my purpose in life. Amazing. And all of that you've shared is so eloquent and it sounds fantastic. I imagine even like someone listening who would be like, oh, I'm afraid of hitchhiking. You made it sound so warm and welcoming and we're going to get more into it in a moment. But first, do you mind sharing, you mentioned your home. Where are you from? I was born in the Philippines, so I grew up there. I studied there as well. And actually, it's funny because like sometimes I say to people, like I don't have a lot of memories from before I traveled, but my roots are originally from the Philippines. My family is still there. I haven't seen them in six years. But again, you know, like home is where you make it. Here I feel at home. Um, In Ukraine, Ukraine is home, you know. And even though there's war, it's still home. So everywhere. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) perfect. And so just to backtrack a little bit as well, you mentioned that you started your travels with $700 in your pocket. And to many people, that would be scary. Like, is that enough? Can I do it? Did you need to convince yourself that that would be able to sustain you? Or what was your mindset going into your initial travels? Well, um, let's put it into perspective. Coming from a developing country, $700 is quite a lot for us. That's the first thing, right? And the second thing is that I originally planned to travel for a month and I thought, yeah, this was enough. Yeah, (laughs) I I can speed through Southeast Asia with these $700. (laughs) I've seen people do it less. I've seen someone do it for 200, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to prepare. I'm just telling people don't go out into the open, you know, like without any fallback plan. So just to be clear, I do not have a safety net. I do not have very, very rich as parents (laughs) who can support me in these travels. In fact, from when I was 16 and I've been working, if I want to get something, I want to, I gotta, gotta work for it, you know? And I have never asked for financial support during like these six years of travel. And that's a lot because I come from a developing country where the salaries compared to the U.S. are very, very different. And even as a digital nomad, you know, when you find like remote employers, they do treat you as somebody from a third world country and they outsource you and they like pay you cheaper rates compared to your counterparts from like, let's say, Western countries or like, for example, US and Europe, right? Even though you have the same skills, experience and stuff like that. And for me, the $700 was that, you know, I was 21. And when you're young, you have this mindset that like yeah everything's gonna work out you know like we'll find a way I was brave I was crazy brave you know that like I I believed in this dream 
I fell in love with it and I believed in it. And <laughs> when you believe in something and when you love something, you would do everything in your power to make it come true. And so for me, like, yeah, $700, yeah, it's not much. I never thought that it would stretch to six years, you know, my life of travel. But it did because I had faith in it. It was either go home, be unhappy again, go home, live up to the expectations of other people, go home, fit into the society that you were raised in, a society where people do not travel so much for leisure or for, you know, because of the absence of privileges. I didn't want it to fit into these categories. And I knew, I told you that I was born to be a traveler. I was made for this. And so I really worked hard to become it. Yeah, it's crazy brave and sometimes crazy stupid, but it was a dream and I made it come true. And I've been here for six years, each day, a fight to be here, to hold my place here, to take up space as an Asian woman from a developing country, traveling with her weak passport, as somebody who is coming from nothing, to be able to build and to live her dream life. I'm really proud of all of the sacrifices that I made. Believe it or not, I was sleeping in bus stations. I was sleeping in airports. I was crashing in strangers' trucks just to be able to make this work. And I know not everybody has that, you know, level of, I'm going to give up this comfort, right? But I did what I had to do to make this dream work. Eventually, I got the good jobs. I landed in, like, you know, um, better-paying companies, usually, like, from the Western world again. And I never settled, you know. So for me, I have a mindset that I'd like to share. It's I never lose. Uh, I know it can sound like an asshole, but <laughs> I never lose. It's either the best or nothing, either my dream or nothing. I have never found something in my life that I would die for, live for, and kill for except travel. So that's what got me through it. Crazy, but here we are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. And yeah, just everything you say is so powerful. And I really appreciate you sharing with that because you wanted it and you did it. That is inspirational in itself. And then the ways that you've gone about doing it is really cool, really powerful, really inspiring because I know it hasn't been easy for you. So do you mind? Like, I know some people view the world as a dangerous place. Can you share a story or two from your travels so far that could maybe help dispel that? So, for example, let's share like at least two different kinds of danger, right? So, like for me, I would say as a solo female hitchhiker and hiker, there's always like a risk. You know, the world continues to be an unsafe space for women, especially, and we all know that. But I do believe that there is also so much kindness in the world. And what we think, we attract. So, if we believe that the local people that you're going to meet on the way, they're going to be terrible. They're going to do something bad to you. They're going to take advantage of you. You attract that experience. But if we come to a country with open minds and open hearts, that this is a country that I would like to learn about. These are people that I would like to meet. They're going to welcome me, you know. And granted, everyone's travel experience is different. But if we approach things with a certain mindset, then I do believe that we attract the things that we think about. So that's, let's just be clear about that. And of course, you know, it's not always a safe day being on the road, but so is being at home. You could get out of your house and be hit by a truck or a car, right? 
get into an accident or you could be in your workspace and get sexually assaulted. You could be with your close friends and have the same experience. Danger is relative. Danger is everywhere. I do believe that we choose our danger. We choose our heart. We choose our risk. Because if we live a life without all of these things, then it is not living. So two stories that could possibly really, really um, illustrate <laughs> the welcomeness and openness of the world. The first being, so one of my best hitchhiking memories and will continue to be that is when I was hitchhiking in Myanmar. I was hitchhiking in the mountains of Myanmar and I stopped a random truck that was full of people. So they were already full of people. So anyway, they're going to take me. <laughs> they took me. I didn't know where the truck was going, honestly. Like, I just went along with it. I used to travel like that. And I still do. Sometimes I don't know where I'm going. I'm just taking the first ride that takes me. Wherever the driver is going, I'm going there too. Let me see the country through your eyes. Show me what you're proud of. And sometimes I would even flip a coin to, like, decide. <laughs> so this truck took me to the mountains of Myanmar, to this village that wasn't actually on Google Maps. Until now, I don't know the name of the village, honestly. But it was magical. Because when I arrived there, it was time for the annual mountain festival. Annual. Like, it happens only once a year. And all of the mountain tribes were in that place. And, you know, including these women with the rings, you know, like these uh, Karen women. They were there. Different tribes. And tribes I didn't even know about. I didn't know they existed, right? So I come there. And there was a mountain festival. They were dancing. They were singing, you know, performing, showing things that are, they're proud of, of their culture. And I also got to know about like a new religion called Chimbogayo, which is like a very, just in that area. And I got to participate in some of the things, you know, like I performed Selena Gomez's I Love You Like a Love Song with a rock <laughs> band because one local girl requested me to sing that for her and I did. And the families there were lovely. We found like an English speaking girl she speaks english because she is studying in a christian school somewhere outside the village and she does some work with the church and stuff like that so she speaks english fluently and she was translating what was happening everywhere they were dressing me up as locals and at the same time you know like everyone wanted to host me they were fighting over like oh who's gonna get the girl i ate like three lunches that day and it was such a nice experience because it's, it's a place where you felt like you were welcome. And this is what I mean when I say that people, you know, you are literally a stranger picked up from the side of the road. Nobody knows you here. Nobody has ever seen you here. Nobody knows what you're doing because it's not a touristy place, right? And yet these people were kind enough to welcome me in such huge amount of welcome. It's amazing because, because it's like you have no roots here. And yet you are welcome, welcome to experience, welcome to learn, welcome to try new things. And the families were very sweet. They treated you as one of their own, you know. So this is the first thing that I wanted to illustrate. And there's so much more experiences like that. Like I hitchhiked a random car and ended up staying in a Buddhist monastery for like two weeks where I got to learn about Buddhism and meditation and other things like randomly hitchhiking a stranger in Romania, and we ended up traveling for like a week together and stuff like that. So it's, you know, even getting adopted by a Romani family in Romania too, where they dressed me up like a Romani princess. And, you know, like these people, like the Romani people, they get stereotyped, right? For like being like robbers or like, for example, criminals. And yet here we are 
Which brings me to my other story. So I have been traveling, and I'm okay to talk about it because I'm really proud about it. I've been traveling across Palestine for the past summer. I've been doing volunteer work here and traveling as well. And the West Bank gets a lot of reputation that it's such a dangerous place that it's, you know, you you look on any website and they say Palestine is dangerous as hell. Yes, there is dangerous, but only danger is the Israeli occupation. But anyway, the thing is, the people there are so kind. I've been couch surfing everywhere and they've been so welcoming. And I've learned a lot about the culture. I've learned about the political situation. I've heard the struggles and I have been... I, I have never felt like this in a long time, where in every city I go to, I can find friends to hang out with. I have people that I can trust that are constantly here for me. And the friendships that I have formed here are, are friendships that I know will last a lifetime. This place gets a lot of bad rep, but I do encourage people too, for starting from the Romani people or from here to the Palestinians, and even from my home in Ukraine, I think that it's uh, when we hear things in the media, when we hear things from other people who have not been to this place or who look to a particular place from a particular angle or a light, I do believe that it's a chance to challenge. We need to be able to see it for ourselves. The media is clouded with a lot of information that has different interests, you know, and usually that's not the interest of the people. And the second thing is that there's a lot of people who say it's scary, it's dangerous to just go in these places alone as a woman or even as a man, you know, like it's dangerous in general. But the reality is sometimes you have to see it for yourself, which level of danger you're comfortable in being, right? And I've been to these kind of places, Afghanistan, Palestine, or even I live in Ukraine. And it's something that I do believe that we have to be able to experience. We have to step out of our ivory tower and to be able to talk to the people there, meet the people, immerse in their cultures and understand from their stories and not the stories of someone else, especially if these people have not been there. So these two things, I wanted to illustrate it because the first is that there are so many kind souls out there in the world who are ready to welcome you, whatever, you know, to be hosted, to have a walk in their city, eat their traditional food, and also the media and you know the opinion of other people are often wrong. The stereotypes that we have on certain ethnic groups, on certain religions, on certain sexualities, on certain cultures, on certain areas of the world are not true at all. And as a traveler, we have this chance to be able to debunk these stereotypes. And for me, this is very important because travel is a way for us to learn more about the world and to form our opinions on what we learn from. So these two things that I wanted to illustrate, this is, has been the journey so far. Yeah. I love those stories. Like everything you said, it's to me what travel is all about. And I think there's so many things I want to talk about. So I'm going to segue. I think there's a lot wrong with the way travel is headed. So do you mind speaking a little bit about what you see in the travel landscape and how maybe you think we could do a better job collectively traveling. If we're going to travel, we need to make sure it's possible in the future that we're not taking and destroying resources, like all of these things. So what is your take on that? So for me, it's like, I talk a lot about travel and sustainability as well as ethical travel, because sustainability doesn't only cover the planet, but also the communities that we meet along the way. And for me, 
I do think that, and I, I do believe it, you know, like I, I do think, believe fully that travel can be used to change the world. It doesn't have to be all of the world. Sometimes it's just someone's world. To be able to make such a huge impact on someone's life. And it doesn't have to be resources. It can be time. It can be motivation. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can create positive impact. I do believe that, yes, there are some problematic things about travel, like people rushing for bucket list destinations and everything like that. People who aren't researching enough to be able to support more ethical tourist options, for example, like, you know, visiting like these zoos or enclosures that treat animals poorly, participating in like things like elephant riding or taking pictures with the tigers, right? Or, for example, there are other ways as well, you know, as taking like, for example, flying all across the world and just staying for two days in each country because you're rushing to make the all of the countries. I don't know how many, 197, I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I do think that as travelers, we have the responsibility to be able to understand that travel is a privilege, right? Not everyone has it. Not everyone has a passport even. So, for example, I have a friend here. She doesn't even have a passport. She has a travel document because of the situation here in Palestine. And I do think that this is a huge privilege because not a lot of people have the time privilege. Some people have responsibilities like children or school or, for example, a parent that they need to take care of. Not everybody has the freedom to move as freely because there's a lot of visas, a lot of borders, a lot of discrimination against Certain travelers, for example, like Muslim travelers or hijabi travelers, or for example, people coming from what we call as the third world nations, right? And if you're privileged enough to be able to do something that allows you to learn and that educates you, inspires you, I do believe that it's our responsibility to use these privileges to be able to make more impact, to do more harm than good. And as travelers, we can start from the simple choices that we're making, you know, this is our travel after all, we get to choose, right? So for example, staying in local accommodations, you know, instead of like these big chain hotels and stuff like that, supporting local businesses, eating local food to reduce carbon emissions, you know, because when you transport like uh, products from a different side of the globe, you are contributing to this, like, you know, carbon emissions and stuff like that. And other things like, for example, Choosing experiences that actually help you to understand the culture, the tradition, or to preserve the wildlife of the area. Now, I know it's like, you know, we can choose anything, we can do anything, right? It's our travel. But then again, you know, there is always a responsibility for us to make the responsible choices. And there are a lot of ways. You don't have to be perfect in all of them. You don't have to be as extreme, right? As we say, like, you know, I know that like some people would like a cultural immersion, but are afraid to do the same thing that I do, like hitchhiking and stuff like that. Right. So you can start in your own simple way. Other things that you can do before you even travel, bringing your own plastic bag. Like, sorry, not the plastic bag. Sorry. Bringing your own tote bag instead of using plastic bags when you shop abroad. Right. Bringing your own water bottle, this kind of things. Right. Or for example, um, doing other things like traveling lighter, you know, this kind of thing, traveling slower, you know, instead of rushing to every place because you want to tick off all of the countries and the bucket lists, travel slower, 
really get to know the people from this place, get to know how you can help them support their businesses on a more constant basis. And it's a more sustainable way to also cut off the emissions from flights, you know, choose land transportation, cycle, you know, there are so many ways that we can make like the small choices and, you know, to turn it up a notch because these are like small choices. You can dedicate your time volunteering for different projects. You can stay in a place for quite some time, use it as a home base, or, you know, if you don't want to move around, you can also do that. And look for organizations, local grassroots organizations that you can help support different projects in the communities that welcome you. There's a lot of ways from the extreme to the longer term to short term or to, you know, personal choices. Everyone has the capacity to create this change that I'm talking about through travel. And I think that everyone should give it a try because it's good for you, good for the planet and good for the people that you meet along the way. Totally. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, so you've mentioned Ukraine is your home. And can you tell us about how you ended up there? And I know once the war began, you chose to stay. And do you mind talking a little bit about the landscape since you were there and you can describe it through your eyes? Yes, sure. So basically, I ended up in Ukraine in COVID, COVID time. I was hitchhiking from Asia to Europe. And Ukraine, you know, Ukraine is actually called a borderland. (laughs) And I entered the borderland, (laughs) which became home. I was forced to stay there because of COVID. So there were two choices, either to go home, you know, or to keep going. There's not going to be much movement, but we're still on the road. And then I said, like, yeah, okay, let's do it. We are not going home. (laughs) I mean, before Ukraine, I've been through a lot of things. I lost my passport twice. I had a surgery abroad in Kyrgyzstan for a 20 kilogram cyst. What? Yeah. An ovarian cyst that nearly exploded inside with me and had to be taken out. And I chose to have it in Kyrgyzstan. I had a lot of things that would have stopped people from traveling, but I didn't. And a global pandemic sure wasn't going to do that. (laughs) And so I decided to stay. I found something to do worthwhile. You know, I'm talking about like, you know, as well, you know, like you're going to stay long in a community, might as well try to give back or try to do something meaningful, right? Something impactful. So I found a volunteer position in an alternative learning school, which focuses on highly individualized learning and outdoor education. So basically inspiring kids to love learning by making it fun and also incorporating the outdoors into the learning. So we take the kids to the mountains river to the caves you know I had this and I really believed in that project that's why I decided to stay and I stayed there for quite some time I was also exploring like nearby countries like Romania Moldova and I I even went as far as on a press trip to Cyprus (laughs) so it's a lot of things I use that as my home base I got to explore Ukraine I speak Ukrainian I I find, you know, even when I'm abroad now, I find some small things about Ukraine that I take with me. So when I cook, for example, I wear the headscarf that they use when they're cooking. I do miss my Vareniki and Borsh, you know. I drink vodka. I can outdrink anyone with vodka at this point. <laughs> I know it's a stereotype, but it, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I do outdrink people now (laughs) with this because I'm so used to it we can all drink like one bottle two bottles and stuff and I won't feel the thing (laughs) and things like you celebrate the holidays you know the same holidays so Ukraine is definitely home 
there's a lot of things about Ukraine that, you know, has passed on into me. I will carry for the rest of my life. I do believe that we are a museum or a mosaic of all of the people, all of the countries, all of the places, all of these memories that we've had in our lives. And Ukraine has a lot of pieces in this mosaic, you know, or a lot of artworks in this museum. And when war came, before war, I had the perfect life, you know, in Ukraine, I had my community, I had my family, my chosen family there, who are still, until now, my family. I had, I was renting an apartment and yeah, I, w- I, was, I was doing good. I was dating someone even. I had everything. And uh, I f- it was home. You belong there. Um, when Ukrainians even see me abroad, they call me Zimlachka, which means countrymen from the same country. It's, I know Ukraine does get like this reputation that it's racist and stuff like that. But I do believe we cannot generalize, as I said. And there are a lot of stereotypes that we need to debunk all across the world. And for me, Ukraine was that. And when the war came, February 24, 2022, the bombs started to land on Kiev. I was living in Kiev during that time. And at first, I thought it was a dream, to be honest. Like, I remember putting on like my, my eyebrows. I still had time to do my eyebrows because I never thought it would happen. And I know it's a funny thing, but, you know... You're prepared for a fire. You know what to do with the fire. You know what to do with an earthquake. But you are never ready for when war comes to your home. That's the thing. And you never believe in it. That's something that you read in history books, see in movies. Never going to happen. It's 21st century. But it did. And the landscape changed drastically. So from all of these travels that I spent there, you know, it started to become grim. We had uh, missiles raining all over us for the first few months. And I remember living not in my apartment, but in the bomb shelter for two weeks. And the bomb shelter was like, you know, these were not renovated things. You were sleeping under leaky pipes and, you know, it was winter, it was cold and sleeping in the dirt on the ground and stuff, huddled with a lot of people. Um, I remember getting sick in the bomb shelter as well. I had tonsillitis and lining up because it was like so cold, you know, and stuff. Had a fever, lining up for three hours to get antibiotics. There were no more antibiotics. And lining up for two hours under air raids and trying to buy food. When you come to the store, there's no more food. And then looking for another supermarket where there could be food, lining up again for two hours under the explosions and stuff like that and so on. I remember things like, you know, not knowing whether it's your last day on earth. When the war began, like we had like a lot of speculations. They were going to take Kiev or not, you know. Were they going to carpet bomb us, you know, rain down bombs while we sleep? And I, I used to sleep thinking that like, like if a missile falls down into our heads, do we feel it? Now, do we feel it or do we just die? <laughs> it was a big risk to live there. And having lived under these circumstances and seeing the suffering of the people that have welcomed me so greatly into their homes and the people who have treated me as one of them gave me family, gave me love, gave me friendship. I knew that I just couldn't turn my back on them. I could have achieved my dream. A lot of Filipinos, a lot of people, you know, even the students who are living there, they went to the Schengen areas. They now have like, you know, Schengen status, which would really benefit me a lot. 
And I'm not saying this out of like, yeah, you should be proud of me or something like that. But I chose to stay because that was home. And I chose to stay because I realized that I would get to make new friends abroad. I would get to have new experiences abroad. I would get to have new families, but a lot of people cannot. I can call other places home, but people here do not have home. You know? And it's because when a place fully accepts you, you become part of the place. And I became part of that place. I know the alleys so well, the streets so well, the metro station so well. I know the culture, I know the language, and I- I'm going to be useful as a volunteer. And it's still home, you know, it's like wherever you go, you never forget that it's home. Even though I've been traveling for six months now, it's it's still home. The people there are still very precious to me. The cultures I still carry. And it kind of breaks my heart that I can't go home easily. I, I do love my life now. I love it here. And I, I love being able to travel again. But also, you do not turn your back on family. You do not turn your back on these kind of friendships. You do not turn your back on such welcome. And you you continue to be with that. You continue to fight for that. So, yeah, the more they take your homeland away from you, the more you fight for it. That's the thing, you know. And I wasn't born there, but my heart is there and it will always be. No matter whatever whatever happens in this visa situation, it's home. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's really unfathomable, especially like you said, this day and age, it does it, it seems unreal and you lived it and I appreciate you sharing. And you mentioned the visa situation. You had told me earlier that yours it's challenging to get home. I know that your passport is not the strongest. Can you talk about some of the challenges you faced along your travels and trying to get into different countries? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I mean, I talk about it all the time. <laughs> so basically, the Philippines, I think, now ranks at 76, if I'm not mistaken, in the Henley Passport Index. You have to check it out. I'm sorry, but like it doesn't have a high passport ranking. And I have a dream of hiking and hitchhiking the world. Basically, it's overlanding the world, right? Or if not the world, you know, to travel in such unique ways, like cycling or living in a van or, you know, walking. I love walking. I walked from Kazakhstan to Kyrgyzstan, you know, this kind of thing. (laughs) And the thing is, you know, growing up, I've seen only certain types of travelers to do this. I grew up. Not seeing a lot of travelers who were like me or from places like mine. Sure, like, yeah, I don't know if you know this um, Thor who's going through, um, he's from Denmark. He just finished all of the countries of the world overland, no flights, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you know him. And then there's this guy from Japan cycling all across the world. I think there's also a girl. My friend Juvina, she's from Singapore. She traveled from I think Singapore to Czech Republic by motorcycle I don't know if you know her but uh, other people who have done it you know there's a lot I even met a French guy in my travels who hitchhiked from France to Thailand and the thing is looking at all of these unique ways to travel and wanting the same adventure travel experience that I always have dreamt of I wanted to do it I wanted to be part of it I want to travel it in such a unique way explore these cultures blah blah 
But, you know, looking at the common denominators that they have, they do come from countries with powerful passports. France, Singapore, Japan, Denmark, even people like Lexi Limitless, like the youngest, she's American, to travel the world in such a fast way, I think, like um, the the quickest and the youngest, I think. To all the countries, yeah, something like that. (laughs) So, you know, it's like she's from the US, another powerful passport. Looking at all of these things, that's the common denominator. My passport is and will always be the bane of my existence. It's a document that I have never chosen. I had no say in it. The birth lottery gave me really, really terrible results. And your passport determines the way that you're treated as a traveler. Just to be able to achieve this dream that I have of seeing the world, I have to every month collect documents to prove that I am a traveler. Documents like bank statements, proof of employment, proof of, you know, like sometimes income or properties and stuff like that to prove that you are rooted in the Philippines. You have to prove that you have an insurance. You have to prove that you have an itinerary. Where are you going? Where are you staying? Documenting and investigating every part of your life. And when you arrive in these bureaucracies, in these consular offices, they subject you to humiliating questions such as, you know, how much do you earn? Do you really make money online? Or things like, you know, the stereotypical ones for a brown sort of female from Asia. Are you planning to marry someone when you're traveling to the country? I was asked that in Croatia, by the way, the Croatian consular official, like, planning to marry Croatian? No. And other things like, you know, things like, are you going to be an illegal immigrant in this country? Also a stereotype. Or sometimes it can even go as far as like, do you plan to commit any crimes? Or are you a terrorist? (laughs) Just because you've been to quote and unquote, like kind of sketchy countries, right? And yeah, it's very dehumanizing because a lot of people from Europe or the US, they just arrive in the country and they're welcomed with open arms. Yet I... I'm a person. I'm also a traveler. I am just dictated by this passport. And yet I am generalized as something else, you know. And I know that illegal immigration, you know, the power imbalance or the salary imbalance, economic imbalance, sorry, when it comes to the developing world. And, uh, you know, so, for example, the global north, the global south is quite different. And I know these issues need to be addressed. But going back to what we've been talking about, I do think that the world needs to stop generalizing people, especially if they come from certain backgrounds. And that's why my background as a Filipino traveler it has always been excluded. Travel, you know, traveling the way that I am, nobody, I've never seen anyone do it before. Mainly because we didn't, not because we didn't want to, I'm sure everyone wants to travel, but it's because we didn't have the privilege to be able to do so. And so for me, it goes beyond the visas. You know, sometimes you have a visa, but you can still get denied entry. And even when you apply for a visa, you might have all of your documents in check. You might answer the questions correctly. You might have a stable life in Ukraine or elsewhere or back in your home country. But like the decision still depends on a human behind the glass window. And if this human sees you as a threat, quote and unquote, threat to their country, they have the chance to deny you a visa. And I have never... The thing about stereotypes and humanity, I have never seen a human without any bias. You have your favorite color. Yeah, everyone does. Yeah. You have favorite food, mm-hmm. right? We have our biases towards like certain things. 
we tend to like certain things. We tend to dislike certain things. And I'm not perfect either. I have my biases. I have my prejudice. I have everything. But the thing about bureaucracies is that they operate under these things. And they do. For example, I have a stable volunteer position in Ukraine. I have I was renting an apartment in Ukraine. I have land titles in the Philippines. I have a stable remote job, four of them. And I still got my Schengen visa denied. They process it in two days without contacting my employers, without contacting my organization. Two days. And they denied it because they thought I was not going to come back. And that was before the war. And the thing is, you know, it's like, even if you have all of your stuff in check, the decision, again, is up to the person behind that glass window. They can deny you for a lot of different reasons. And the visa system, it's a scam. It's a scam. If you look into the history of it, it was created to protect the American hegemony, to prevent immigrants from coming to the U.S. It has resulted in millions of killings of Jews. You know, during the Holocaust, they cannot accomplish the documents. The documents were repetitive. The documents were expensive. And there were so many delays just to be able to get out of the dangerous places and to immigrate abroad. If we look at the history of visas itself, it is definitely a way to keep out people who are a threat. And if we look at the nature of travel, travel has always been colonial. The first travelers were the ones who could afford it, the ones who could, quote unquote, explore, discover new places, only for the wealthy, only for the men, right? Yeah, and even going beyond the consular offices, going to places like border crossings, you know, sometimes they would ask you all of these dehumanizing questions. Sometimes you can get denied entry as well, could get questioned for three hours, you know. And even after that, even if you've cemented your travel history, your paperwork, whatever, you're never taken seriously. As a Filipina traveler, I have to always fight for my place at the table twice as much or thrice as much as an ordinary traveler from like, let's say a Western white country. But when I'm seated at the table, I'm still not taken seriously, you know, by locals, by travelers too. You always get asked, are you studying here? Are you, are you working here? Right. Are you married here? And that's what kind of saddens me is because I did not choose this. And yet this is the bane of my existence. and The only thing that's stopping me from achieving my dreams. I'm not afraid to hitchhike. I'm not afraid to camp. I'm not afraid of new experiences. But the only thing that stops me from having them and to achieving this goal is something that I did not choose. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I mean... I think it's so important to talk about because if we don't have awareness around these topics, then nothing will ever change. So I really do appreciate you being here and talking about it and sharing your perspective and letting us hear that. And I mean, attempt to understand, but never truly understand because I mean, I'm sitting here with my American passport and that's the way it is. No, but I think the, the way that we talk about it and you're giving us a platform to be able to raise awareness on passport privilege is already a start. You know, yeah, you might not have like this like lived experience, but to invite travelers, you know, like to bring them into the podcast and to actually make people realize that travel to travel freely is not possible for everyone. I mean, my friends from the West Bank can't even travel to their own country. Right. So there's totally different like, you know, levels of privilege when it comes to travel. Even if you have a good passport, 
my friend from the UK, she got denied to fly over the American airspace to go to Mexico. She has a UK passport. The only thing is because she's a hijabi. And it's because she's been to like these risky countries. That's what they say. Those are two things. And she's a brown traveler. So the way that you are already giving a platform for this is amplifying the cost. And it's helping. And I, you, I know you might not realize it, but I would love you know, for you to know that because it's not talked about. And you're giving me and other people a platform to be able to talk about it. So kudos to you. Thank you. And I, <laughs> no, and I mean, I'm so grateful to you for being here and for sharing and raising awareness and sharing all the goodness and the kindness and your beautiful stories and your really cool adventures. It's just awesome. And like, I could actually talk to you all day, really. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you online? So yeah, I do have a travel blog documenting my hiking and hitchhiking journey and all of the crazy ways that I travel. And also um, the blog and the platform that I have is not just an ordinary travel blog. It is actually a social impact blog, which means that this is a blog that is devoted to actually the things that I talked about, raising awareness about certain issues, as well as supporting various organizations and various people that I have met along the way that actually welcomed me. This is using adventure to create change. And you can find this platform actually on across all social media. I have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok under Kristen Kaladkaran. So it's K-R-Y-S-T-E-N-K-A-L-A-D. K-A-R-I-N, Kristen Kaladkaren. Kaladkaren means, in my language, someone who says yes to everything. Ah, I love that. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> it's not my last name, but it's what I go by. You can also visit my website, kristenkaladkaren.com, and be part of the adventure, whether it's, you know, getting to know where I am, getting to know the unique aspects of the cultures and traditions and the places that I visit, meeting all of these wonderful souls that are testaments to human kindness, that we are more alike than we are different, you know, or whether it's supporting the various causes that I continue to advocate for and the communities that I have met along the way. This is a good opportunity for you to get connected with me, Learn from me as a traveler. I teach people on how to become digital nomads and to travel the world and make a positive impact. And I empower women to travel solo as well. You can find me there and we can be friends. You know, it's a community. It's not just a platform. And it's a community dedicated to making all of these connections and eventually giving back, you know. So, yeah. Amazing. Everyone check that out. And it's all linked in the show notes as well. So, Ten, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your stories. I love them. Thank you so much, Kelly. Maybe you'll have to come back sometime and share even more. <laughs> Just let me know. Yes, perfect. And everyone else, I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. 
Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.